Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we do this on a weekly basis, and one of the things I tell people because I, I want you to understand that we go through the Bible chapter by chapter and, and verse by verse. It's the, it's the best way that I know to te- keep me on track to be able to what's called the full counsel of God. That way we don't cherry pick and talk about the verses that we like. We, we try to go through the entire gospel. And, and just, it's a great way to learn the scriptures as well. To know that if you, if you stay with it long enough, you'll eventually get through all of the books of the Bible. Um, we've been going through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It started in chapter 5 of Matthew. It's going to go through chapter 7. And there's a couple of things we see in, this, in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus came and he introduced himself as the Son of Man. Uh, the Son of Man is actually a term for the Messiah that Daniel gave. So when Jesus was saying that he was the Son of Man, he was indicating that he was the fulfillment of the prophecies that talked about the, the coming Messiah. Now, people had all different kinds of ideas about what the Messiah was supposed to look like and what he was supposed to do. And Jesus constantly surprised them because Jesus had a way of saying things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And what was he doing? He was basically saying, this is what you understand the law to be. This is what you've been told it is. But I tell you, what does he do? He raises the bar. He doesn't let us off, right? Uh, The idea of the moral law, of being pure in heart, of being able to have a a set people that were separate than the rest of the people that acted differently, not only towards their God, but also towards each other, was very important to Jesus. He wanted us to be a people that were set apart. That's why he said last, last week, we said that you're supposed to be salt and light, right? You're supposed to be a preservative in a world that is quickly decaying. You're supposed to be light uh, to a world that often prefers darkness. In fact, you'll see that today in our, in our sermon today. My, my sermon topic today is, is called The Right Choice. And we'll see in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, that Jesus is going to present for us four different areas of life that we have a choice. Uh, We have a choice. You know, actually, our life is determined, the net result of the choices we make. Sometimes we don't understand, but that's really true. You know, when you're born, you're born and you look like your mother and your father. That's called DNA. But by the time we mature and by the time we're seniors... By the time we're elders, our, res- our, our life is a result of the choices we've made. And Jesus today is going to tell us to make the right choices. Choose, choose wisely. So we're starting in Matthew chapter 6. Again, my topic of my sermon is the right choice. And we're beginning in verse 16. Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. So that you do not, so, but to your father who is in secret place, and your father who sees in secret rewards you openly. 
Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus continues in verse 22. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, Jesus concludes with these words. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, and mammon. You know, just last week, we went through what we call daily prayer, and we talked about the Lord's Prayer and how you should pray. And it's interesting how Jesus is doing this. He continues the same kind of thing. He's assuming that we will pray when you pray. And here he's assuming that we will fast when you fast. And he's, he tells us to choose the right way to fast, just as he was telling us the right way to pray. So Jesus starts off by saying, moreover, when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, which means that they're disfiguring their faces, he says. They, they walk around like they're a mopey, like they're suffering for God in order to, be a, to show. Jesus says, as surely I say to you, they've already had the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men be fasting, but to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Uh, you know, this is so much like Jesus saying, like, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. These are, these are normal things in a life that we have. And Jesus is telling us that when we go through life, we will have choices. And he wants us to choose wisely, do the, do the right thing. Uh, giving, praying, and now fasting. Interesting, on fasting, Jesus has a very interesting remark on fasting. Jesus doesn't talk a lot about fasting. This is one of the few occasions. But in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says this, or actually, the disciples of John. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting, and they came to Jesus and said, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus said to him, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. You know, this conversation can be found both in the Gospel of Mark as well as the Gospel of Matthew. We'll come to it in a few weeks, maybe a few months. And it's considered a parable. And the reason this is considered a parable is because it has all the elements of a parable, even though Jesus doesn't say it's a parable. It's, it has human characters in it. It's talking about people, and it's an analogy. You can see something that's happening, see something that's happening. Um, it's, it's, Jesus is telling a truth that is more than a truth. It's revealing a mystery within the kingdom of God. Uh, now, this, the parable doesn't use necessarily any more words than necessary. And if you notice, one of the words that's not in this parable is the wedding. He's talking about the bridegroom. Now, today's weddings, I can tell you, I can tell you as a pastor that today's weddings, they say, is all about the bride. 
Today's weddings are all about the mother of the bride, okay? <laughs> it really is. I mean, they didn't teach us, Hal, Pastor Hal, they didn't teach us this in seminary, but, it, but it's really true. If you're going to be, you're going to be the officiant at a, at, a, at a wedding, you got to make sure where the mother of the bride is because that's the person you need to key on. It's all about the, not only the wedding and not the bride, but the mother of the bride. But actually, there's going to be a time when there's a wedding and it's really going to be all about the bridegroom. You see, Jesus is introducing in this, this little talk about fasting that they ask, he's introducing a new character, and the character is the bridegroom. And he's obviously calling himself the bridegroom. Now, this is interesting because he's the son of man, he's the Messiah, but he's identifying himself as the bridegroom. Remember, there's going to be a time when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, okay? Um, and then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to, you know, there's many mansions and many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to return and receive you unto myself. Remember that saying. Jesus and the and people that were listening to that understood very clearly that Jesus was giving the references and all of the elements of what they knew as a, a wedding, a Galilean wedding. Because as a couple was engaged shortly after the engagement, which means they were betrothed, just like Joseph and Mary were betrothed, typically the bridegroom, before they were married, would return to his father's house and prepare a place. And then he would come at some time when the father would say, go get your bride. Now, this is a mystery of the kingdom of God and has to do with the church because the church is actually called the bride of Christ. So Jesus has asked a question about fasting, but he can't help himself but introduce this secret of the kingdom of God, that Jesus was not only the Messiah to the Jewish people, but he is the bridegroom to those that believe in him, and we will be the bride. Like I said, today's weddings are all about the bride. Now, by the time that of Jesus, uh, fasting had become quite a burden. The law of Moses, going back to the time of the, the law of Moses, going back to the time of the Israelites in, in uh, Egypt, uh, they needed to fast on the Day of Atonement. That was the required fast, was the Day of Atonement. But by the time of Jesus, there were a number of fasts that were introduced, and the Pharisees were proud of themselves that they fasted twice a week. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the synagogue? And the Pharisee was praying to God and said, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes, okay? How great am I, right? It's all about me. But Jesus is saying, he said, you know, it was the tax collector that humbled himself and bowed his head and, and, and humbled himself before God that was actually justified because one chose wrongly. The Pharisee, again, acting as a hypocrite, was proud of his fasting. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that these people that are fasting are acting like hypocrites because they're neglecting their appearance. That's uh, verse 16. They're neglecting their appearance. That word in the Greek, neglected, actually means to put on a mask. Remember we said that the word hypocrite in the Greek actually means to be an actor. And Jesus is using the same idea that if they're actors... They're putting on a mask by concealing their face. They're, they're appearing to be suffering. 
suffering for a god. They, in fact, what they would often do is they would take ashes and they would throw it on their head so it looked like they hadn't been able to shower and they would be all disheveled and wear ragged clothes. Sometimes they'd put burlap uh, garments on uh, in order to appear like they were, were fasting. But Jesus says, well, don't do that. Don't reduce fasting to, to theater. Don't be just an actor that's an hypocrite. Uh, you don't want to do that. Now, before we talk about what Jesus said to do, let me talk a little bit about fasting because fasting is an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Jesus doesn't talk a lot about fasting, but we know a lot about fasting based on the words that are used. For example, in Hebrew, the word fasting is the Hebrew word sum, T-S-U-M, T-S-U-M. I don't speak Hebrew real well, but that word is pretty easy, sum, T-S-U-M. And it basically means this, to shut your mouth, to shut your mouth, okay? Not meaning not to talk, it means not to eat. So the idea, that's what a fast is. In fact, we have the word today, breakfast, right? Our first meal of the day is after seven or eight hours of sleeping or more, and it's the first meal you're breaking your fast. Your mouth has been closed all night, although my wife can tell you that my snoring keeps my mouth open, but that's another story. <laughs> but, but the idea is that you abstain from food. Now, the Greek word, the Greek word is nostelia, and it actually means to, to, to abstain from food. So we have to understand that fasting, true fasting has to do with getting that rumbly in the tumbly. It has to do with abstaining from food, just like your breakfast abstains from food overnight. Now, God bless you. If you decided that you're going to not watch TV anymore, you know, or you're not going to, uh, you're not going to uh, text or use social media, that, that's fine. That's, that's a wonderful way for you to connect with God, but you're not fasting. Fasting is actually when you abstain from food, either a certain type of food or all food altogether for a certain period of time. You know, Jesus is interesting because he's constantly calling us to make the right choices and to live a life that's free of hypocrisy. Jesus, remember this, you probably remember the story in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you're, all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, there's that word again. Take the plank out of your own eye so you can see clearly enough to be able to, to help your brother. See, Jesus is telling us that when we are hypocrites, when we act in a way in order to be showy with somebody else, we have to be careful because this is what happens, and this is true today. We often judge ourselves based on our motives but we judge others based on their poor performance. Regardless of how good their performance was, as soon as we see something wrong, as soon as we see them slipping, as soon as we see them fail, we judge them based on the failure, but we judge ourselves not on our performance, but on our intentions, on our motivations. Jesus says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who lives in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, Jesus is saying, make the right choice. You're fasting because of your relationship with God. This is about you and God, so make the right choice. This is all about your relationship with God. Make sure that that's what you're focusing on, not the people around you. You know, you can fool a crowd. You really can. You can fool a whole crowd of people. You can, be, you can be a hypocrite to a lot of people, but you can't be a hypocrite. You can't fool people that you are close to. And when you're close to God, you don't want to try to fool God. God can see the intentions of your heart. Jesus is saying this. He says, he says don't be a hypocrite. In fact, later he says this. He says, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the idea is this, is if people happen to see that you're morally pure, if people happen to see that you have a good attitude, that you're serving God rather than serving people, that, you're, that you love God and you love people, well, that's wonderful because God can, people can use that. People can see that light in you. They can see your good deeds. But don't go putting your good deeds out before yourself in order to be a hypocrite, to be seen by men. Let's go on. That was the first of the choices. The next one is the choice between two treasures. And you can read about it in starting getting in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about stuff. It's the stuff. I mean, we all love stuff, don't we? I mean, we really do. We love stuff. You know, there's the old joke about you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You know, you can't take it with you. But Jesus is saying something very important here. He's saying you can send it up ahead of you. Often I'll use this verse as a stewardship verse because it's, that's what it's really talking about. It's talking about giving to God what is God. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's giving to God what is God. But it's really about the stuff. And I've got to tell you that... We all have this problem with stuff. We have a lot of stuff. And it's gotten worse. It really has. Just take a look at the sizes of our houses. Um, this, this I found. This is online. This is my, my first house my parents bought. This is 1957, 1958, around that. We had moved into, back into Chicagoland area, this outside of Chicago, and my parents bought this house, I think, for $13,000 back in 1957. And, you know, it's really kind of an average house. It didn't have the fence around. It didn't look that nice. Um, in fact, there was, no, there was no fence at all in the front. I remember falling off. I was about four or five years old, falling off the front and into the snow and stuff like that. In fact, if I remember, it had snow in it all the time. That's, that's just how I remember it. And, and what I did is I did a little, a little comparison of that about that time, 1958 versus, versus now, and, and we can see there are some differences in the, in, the, in the average home then and the average home now. So for example, back in 1957, 1958, the average home back then was about $11,000, and for $11,000 you've got about 1,000 square feet. I think our house, my dad told me, was like 950 square feet. Most homes had just two bedrooms, some had three, and they had one bath. One bath. The U.S. Census tells us that the average uh, household back in the 1950s, up until 1959, uh, was 3.51 persons per household. Typically a mom and a dad and two kids. That was the typical household. Um, and for 1,000 square feet, that was 284 square feet per person. Now, by today's standard, in 2021, which is the last... Uh, last year we have full, uh, full stats on, the average family size has been reduced by a whole head, down to 2.58, uh, and typical new home has 2,430 square feet with three bedrooms, most of them four, and two plus baths, two plus a half bath somewhere, 941 square feet per person, almost three times more space per person, which gives us more room for more stuff. You know, and this is the thing, is if you've got so much stuff and you can't fit it into your house, there's a storage facility down the street, and you can get a, a whole garage full of stuff in there, and it's even air-conditioned and, and heated, so you can, you can store a lot of stuff. Well, here's the point. There's, there's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with, with money or wealth. Oh, I didn't want to go there yet. 
I did, there's nothing wrong necessarily with the stuff that you have. Jesus is just saying, make the right choice. Understand that there are people that are needy. The things that you have are, are to be given to people that are in need. Jesus at one time said, if you have two tunics, give one to somebody else. I mean, if you, if you can share a meal, share the meal. We're supposed to be generous in everything that we have. At the time, of the, at the time that Jesus was writing this, uh, the Jewish people had a different, lot of different laws, but they had the law of the tithe. Now, I remember a lot of people, now there's a lot of pastors that don't like the tithe, but I always figure it this way, is that if it was good enough for Jewish people that were very, very poor and typically living on agriculture, and if it didn't rain, they starved, if the tithe was good enough for them, showing that God deserved the first part, it's good enough for us. We're some of the wealthiest people. I mean, look at all the stuff we have. So if it was good enough for them, it was good enough for us. At the, back at the time of Jesus, the temple was there, and the tithe was given to the treasury in the temple. That's where it belonged. Today's representative is the, the local church, uh, whether it's your church at home or whatever. And there's a lot of church charities, a lot of parachurch organizations like Samaritan's Purse and others that we talk about. There are great organizations out there. And Jesus is very serious about your choice of what you do with the things that you acquire. You know, we know the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to eternal life? And you know, he had, he had kept the commandments and, but he knew that Jesus knew that he lacked something. And Jesus said this, he says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. See, that's the idea is treasure in heaven where moth nor rust will destroy it. Then come, follow me. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's unfortunate, this, this young man turned away. And the Bible says that he turned away from Jesus because he had so much stuff. Now, that's my translation. But he had so much stuff, he couldn't possibly think about giving it all away. What's so unfortunate about this story is that Jesus said, come, follow me. Do you know the other people that Jesus said that to? They're the apostles. They're the apostles. They were the chosen apostles of the Lamb of God. Jesus was offering this young man the opportunity, the true opportunity to follow him, just like Matthew, just like Simon, just like Judas, just like uh, Philip, just like James and John. He was offering them the same opportunity to follow Jesus, but, but he went away because he had so much wealth and it was difficult. And Jesus has this to say. He says, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't want us to lose this idea, this simple idea that we can store treasure up in heaven because God wants us to be, Jesus wants us to be rich towards God. That's the whole idea. We can, we can have all kinds of stuff. You can have a very, very nice house. I'm, I'm so happy that my, my children, as they're getting now older in their 40s, and they're, they're starting to get nice houses and nice cars. I, my brother just bought a, a new house in South Bend, and I love his new house. It's a beautiful house, and I'm happy for him. But the idea is this, is you need to still choose wisely and make sure that you're still rich towards God. Don't put all of your focus on the things that you have. Understand that what Paul said, that godliness with contentment is, is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And the idea is this, is we need to find a time that we're content. We're content with what God gives us. We're happy with that because we only need so much. And the rest that, that God gives us, well, I can give to other people. I can bless other people. It's really a choice between two, two places to store your stuff. 
The next one is uh, the choice between two visions. Jesus says this, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. You know, Proverbs 30, 30, uh, Proverbs 30 verse 17 says, the eye of the doorway, uh, the eye is the doorway to the soul. You know, Jesus said that you're a lamp and that you're salt. The idea is that there's darkness out there and Jesus wants you to be light. And he's saying basically the eye is the gateway to the soul. If your eye has good light, then you'll be light. But if your eye sees darkness, you'll have darkness and how great that darkness will be. You know, we know that people are affected by what they take in with their senses, right? What they see, what they touch, what they spend time doing. Okay, it says you are what you eat, but actually it's you are what you see. You are what you see, because if you decide to focus on, on immorality, if you decide that you're going to focus on the things that are evil in this world, you would end up will have darkness in your soul. Uh, this, is, this is what it, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 13. He says, For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would heal them. You know, if you listen to my podcast, I do this, these videos, but then I also take these videos and I just do the audio. I make it as a podcast. And we have a, a, a woman speaker come at the beginning of the, of the podcast saying, welcome to the Faith Dialogue podcast with Pastor Ken. And have eyes that see, a mind that is alert, a heart that is receptive. Because that's what we need in order to understand the things of God. Because what happens is if our eye and our heart is trained on things of the world, we become callous. We become callous. It's almost like having calluses on your eyes. You can no longer see the light because you've taken in so much darkness. Jesus makes the remark, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness. Think about that. If the light that is in you is darkness, how great that darkness so let's explore that darkness because this, this present darkness is so much of what our society is like today. Paul, the Apostle Paul, began his, apostle, his epistle to the Romans with a saying that he says, all of us can see God's creation. All of us have been exposed to the wonders of God because we can see the creation, the invisible attributes of, of God. But then he says, he says, they were professing to, the, to be wise, but they became Fools. He goes on and uses the words that Jesus uses here, talking about darkness. In verse 21, Paul says this. He says, because though they, they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and they were foolish hearts. They were darkened. What is Paul talking about? He said, they had a choice. They had a choice to understand who God was and to follow God and seek after him and the good things. But instead... They chose darkness instead. They were foolish because of what they see, because of what they listen to, because of what they embraced. They had a choice, but they chose darkness. And Jesus says, how great that darkness is. Paul continues in verse 28. He says, and even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind 
to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Then he continues, he says, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing that righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, they do not only do the same, but also approve of them who practice them. This is this present darkness. Now this was written, Paul is writing, what is he writing about? He's writing about the people before the flood. But he's also writing about this present age, this present age of darkness. People love the darkness so much that that's all they can see. Their, their light, the light that they have within them, Jesus says, is actually darkness. This is the world we live in. This is why Jesus says that we're to be light, we're to shine in the darkness, we're to be able to pierce that darkness with the light, we're to be salt in a world that is decaying, uh, in a world that knows nothing but darkness. Let's finish up with our last verse, verse 24. Jesus will show that he's going to give us a choice between two masters. A choice between two masters. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, when Jesus was speaking of this, the world, the Roman Empire, including Israel, uh, slavery was big. More than, more than 50%. Some people say almost two-thirds of all citizens, all people in the world, in the Roman Empire, were slaves. They were called servants, but actually they were indentured servants. They, they only had one master. The Roman Empire had a law regarding servants that they could only have one master. If a slave was going to do work for another master, it had to be sold to that other master. Only one master. And, I, and many scholars believe that just as Je, this is what Jesus is referring to. However, there's a story of the people of Israel that were split between two masters, Baal and Jehovah God. And Elijah calls them to make the right choice. This is what he says. It says, so Ahab, wicked King Ahab, sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered not a word. Elijah says, choose wisely. Who's your God? If it's Baal, then choose Baal. But if it's the Lord God, then Choose wisely and choose him. You know, ancient Israel struggled all the time with idolatry, all the way through the captivity. It wasn't until after they came back from Babylon that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the righteous people finally understood what it was like to get rid of the idols in the life. By the time that Jesus was there, there were very, very few Israelis that still had idols in their homes. They just, they just wouldn't do it. They, they, they had learned their lesson. It took... It took hundreds of years and being overthrown and being enslaved and imprisoned and taken to Babylon and then returned before they finally got it. But they, they made a choice that they would, they would serve God. You know, look how contemporary our lessons are for today. Uh, Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, 
It's interesting. I often tell you what these words were in Greek or in Hebrew, and they're translated for us. Well, there's a difference between translated and transliterated. Do you know the difference? A translated word means, this word means peace, or this word means joy, or this word means love. Transliteration means we're not, we know what the word means, but it's better just to kind of embrace that word and bring it over into English. There's a few words like that. Apocalypse is one of the words. It's a, it's a Greek and Latin word that kind of transliterated and comes into English. Mammon is the same way. The word in Hebrew, actually the word in Greek, is, is mammon. And scholars will tell you that we often translate it as money, but it's more than money. It's the confidence that you have in your inheritance. It's the confidence you have in your riches. It's the confidence you have in the things of this earth. That's your, that's your mammon. And Jesus is saying you can't serve God and at the same time have any confidence then in the wealth. Do you have confidence in God or do you have confidence in your wealth? Your wealth will fail. Mammon will fail. Why serve mammon when you can serve God? Jesus is saying that we can serve our treasure here on earth and also serve God at the same time. You can't do it. You know, one of the, there's nothing, and there's actually nothing wrong with money. And we, we know that, right? I mean, sometimes we, we mistranslate the, or we, we mis misread uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we say, well, uh, money's the root of all evil, right? No, no, no. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It isn't money itself, you see. And I like that because you don't have to have money to love it. Some of the people that I know that love money the most don't have any. I mean, they just, they're constantly chasing it. They, they think that that's going to solve all of their problems. And it doesn't. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, money's not evil. Uh, money's in just, it, it's neutral. God can use your money. God, the churches could use your money. Charities can use your money. You can use your money wisely. Uh, money is not evil, but the love of money will separate us from the things of, of God. Jesus is making it very, very clear. He's saying you can store up your treasures in heaven, right? That was one of the choices we had. He said you can look on things, right, that are holy and pure. You can look on those things or you can choose darkness, and you can choose to serve God or you can decide to serve the things around you, the stuff that you've acquired, all the things that you think you have confidence in. You know, my friends, we have, we have many choices in life. We really do. Um, our life is the sum of the choices that we've made. If you look back over your life and you realize here you are at the Windsor and the things that you have and the places you've been are because of the choices that you made. Uh, Sometimes delayed gratification makes a big difference, doesn't it? Being able to say, I'm going to save for the rainy day. I'm going to work hard today so that maybe at some time in the future I don't have to work as hard. I'm going to learn my lesson now so I don't have to learn it later. The Bible tells us that we have many choices. The um, Bible tells us basically we're here to serve God. A God that, that loves us and that sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin, uh, to, that went to, went to the cross at Calvary in order to free us from sin and give us e eternal life. That was his own son. He took the penalty so that we would have eternal life with God. Jesus calls himself the bridegroom because we have the choice to follow the bridegroom and become the bride. When the bridegroom comes back for his bride, if we made the right choice, we will be there waiting for Jesus. 
You know, a, a relationship with God actually begins with choosing wisely. I pray that all of us may choose to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life so that that choice will open up all kinds of other choices so that the light we have inside of us will be a light that will give life to others as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.